0: great to see you all this morning. If you weren't here at the very beginning, I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And we are delighted to have with us our new intern starting this Sunday. And this is the Sunday after the ascension of Jesus. So last Sunday we celebrated Rogation Sunday. And so if you missed that, the sermon's online. Now we're celebrating Jesus ascending on high. Uh, leading captivity captive and giving gifts to humanity. And so next week we'll get to celebrate the birth of the church uh, through the giving of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's from on high that Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit to complete the kingdom work that he had started through the work of the disciples. Remember the disciples, how imperfect they are. And if you were to think Man, I would, you know, what would it take to complete the work of the kingdom? The disciples would not be the ones I would choose, uh, but I also wouldn't be the one I would choose either. And so there's a lot that we celebrate in the birth of the church in the next two weeks. It's a very important two weeks in our church calendar. And so let me pray for us as we begin in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable In your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about this week as I was thinking about building good kingdom things, I was thinking about building, uh, and I did a lot of building yesterday. I smashed up my finger pretty good. But one of the things that I love doing uh, with my son is going to Home Depot on an occasional Saturday where they give, I don't know if you know this, they give toys uh, that kids can build that you make yourself. Uh, so it's got all the pieces, and it's got real screws and real nails, and you have to use your real hammer, your real <laughs> screwdriver, and your real wood glue to complete the task. And we've started doing this. We started when he was just over two years old. And so now he's got his own toolkit. He's kind of a master craftsman. Um, <laughs> but we, one of the things we love to do is to go out in the backyard with the toolkit and, and get our, our screwdrivers and our hammer and our wood glue true story. He really does have his own toolkit. Like I have to borrow his tools because I can't find mine. And, um, and so we dump all the pieces on the ground together, and we shuffle through them and try and figure out where things might go. So we've built like a Christmas ornament. We've built a little boat. Uh, We've built even a pinball game that had its own rubber bands. It was really cool. Um, And when I I think about what it took to get that toy, somebody had to go through the work of getting all the wood uh, at a certain thinness and cutting out all these pieces that were going to be built and fitted just right. They had to get customized stickers uh, to go on these items, and they had to count little nails and screws and put them in their own little tiny baggie that would go inside of yet another baggie uh, to for us to be able to do this job. If we didn't have those pieces, we wouldn't be able to make the thing. But similarly, if we didn't have the tools, we also couldn't make the thing with just the pieces. We needed the pieces and the tools to finish the job. And to build things properly in the kingdom of God, you, you need the stuff of God and you need the right means. And... And I wouldn't I wouldn't want to call them tools, but there are some necessary means by which we build meaningful things out of the world around us for the glory of God's kingdom. And as we think about the the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And those two things I think come from this passage today in John 17. Jesus' prayer uh, before he is led to be crucified uh, later on. And in this prayer, we, we hear two things that come through very strongly. One is knowledge of God, experiential, right, and intellectual, that, that we would know God, and that there would be a unity to the disciples of Jesus. Knowledge of God, unity of the disciples of Jesus. These are means by which the kingdom works are done. In other words, life with God and life with one another are somehow foundational To God's kingdom work. Jesus prayed a lot throughout the different Gospels, but this is the only prayer that we are given so much content at so much length, that we hear this um, intimacy between Him and the Father. He was going to, He was encouraging in the last couple chapters the disciples who were going to face hardships. The disciples were going to face things that were challenging, much like. Uh, We've been in the book of first Peter and he was challenging those disciples as well and encouraging them because life is hard in the world. And so these disciples are have a bit of anxiety and despair about his upcoming death. Right. But beyond that, even though he's going to die and rise again, they're still going to face challenges in the world. And so he's encouraging them in the last chapter. It was about giving the Holy Spirit. And then he moves from teaching them to prayer. He's praying for them now. And you and I are given a glimpse into what Jesus prays for his disciples, which is you, which is me. What does Jesus pray for us? And so we, we enter this intimate communication between the Father and the Son. And there are two deep concerns in verses 1 through 11. Those intimate concerns uh, are that people are brought to eternal life. And that the disciples are united in mind and in will. So first, eternal life. Um, The first means of kingdom work is a knowledge of God, which he's going to define for us. In verses 1 through 5 of John 17, Jesus says that he glorified the Father on earth. And that he accomplished everything that the Father had given him to do. And he also prays that the glory that he had before the world began... He would be given again, which brings us full circle to John chapter one, where it talks about in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. He wants that glory again. And the glory of God is seen and it's experienced in our obedience to do God's will. If you want to ask, where do I see God's glory? It's in a life that is living in obedience to the will of God. And I was reminded of that um, quite significantly two days ago with the passing of Tim Keller, um, you may have seen this, you know, brilliant theologian, um, just godly godly man who died of pancreatic cancer pretty young. And his book on church planting really had had an impact on me um, before deciding to plant. And so he is an example of faith to um, countless numbers of people. If if you are anywhere on, on the uh, social media platforms, you will probably see multiple tributes to Tim Keller. He was so secure in who God made him, and, and he was secure in who God didn't make him. And those two things are important. Who has God made us? Who has God not made us? And his ministry came from this place of deep abiding, abiding in Christ. He seemed to always act with this faithful conscience in the midst of dissenting voices, especially over the last You know, decade of political polarization. He held to his conscience amidst dissenting opinions because of a life of abiding in Christ. Um, In an interview with the New York Times, he he comes out and has this really hopeful disposition that I, I really appreciate. He says if the resurrection of Jesus really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right suffering is going to go away evil is going to go away death is going to go away aging is going to go away pancreatic cancer is going to go away now if the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen then I guess all bets are off but if it actually happened then there's all the hope in the world and so his life and his hope are a life that point people uh, to life with Jesus And it points people to Jesus in ways that will be felt long after his departure from this life. He has this unpretentious kind of air about him that it's self-aware and it's grounded in, in faithfulness and abiding with Christ as the foundation for the things that he did for God. His life with God fed his life for God. And so he's a great example of what Jesus calls the disciples to do, to prioritize abiding in Christ so that God can be the one to bear the fruit. I don't know about you, I'm often guilty of the one trying to bear the fruit. If I can just do things a certain way, manipulate the situation, I can do it, but in in all of my efforts to do that, I forget to abide, right? So a couple chapters back, Jesus in John 15 exhorted the disciples to abide in the vine. And it's the Father who prunes good fruit to bear more good fruit. It's not our job to bear fruit, it's our job to abide. And abiding in John 15 and eternal life in John 17 are very similar. I think they're, yeah, they're really intimately connected. In verse 3, Jesus talks about eternal life uh, to the disciples. He defines eternal life. When we think of, you know, we, we have all sorts of ideas about eternal life. He says here it's, it's knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So knowing knowing. Knowing the God who created us is eternal life, which means eternal life is not something that's just out there in the ethereal where we're all wearing white robes, playing on harps, sitting on clouds. Um, eternal life has broken into right now. The eternal life is, is not just a, yeah, it's not just future. It is a quality of knowing God And living with the knowledge of God in this darkness of this broken world. And so you and I, we live into eternal life uh, when we know God, the God who created us. So you can think of it this way. God's glory is most realized in the world when he's most intimately known by his people. When is the glory of God most seen among people? It's when he's most known by his people active knowledge another way to think of that is is that knowing god changes our world i've heard uh, this a number of times from people uh, that i've talked to over the years and there are a lot of people who had you know hard experience growing up and maybe there's sort of a, a spectrum of anger to apathy about the ways that they were raised but you know then after maybe coming into their mid 20s or mid 30s they They're able to talk to the parent about how frustrating it was to be raised by them. And then in that conversation, they find out that actually that dysfunctional parent was either a pendulum swing from something else, or they were amplifying what they already had experienced, or maybe they had a toned down version of what they had experienced, but it was still dysfunctional. It doesn't make it all better to have that conversation, right? but the knowledge of that parent Getting to know that parent does change things. It changes the view of that now adult, uh, that person's view of the world around them, changes their view of their parent just by having some understanding and cultivating some aspect of relationship. So knowledge of someone is powerful because knowledge of someone changes the world around us. It changes our perception of them, and it changes the perception of what we've experienced from them. And unlike a dysfunctional parent, right, God is not a dysfunctional parent. Uh, Sometimes his church can be a dysfunctional mother, which I've preached on in, in the past. But God is not a dysfunctional parent. God knows the purposes for which we were made. Right. God knows. You've ever asked the question, like, what am I? What is the thing that I'm really good at? Why am I even here? God knows that. Right. God has. God has created you for a purpose. And And so as we walk with him, as we get to know the one who created us and knows us better than ourselves, we are having a knowledge of the one who walks with us through all the dark, the scary, the lonely places. As I read my, there's a children's book that I read to my son that talks about God being a shepherd walking with his lamb in the dark, scary, lonely places. And I love the picture of that. Um, Knowing God more deeply means that we are experiencing eternal life, because we're coming to know the one who created us and the one who knows why we are made. And so we have a sense of why we are made as we come to know him. It changes our world to know the God who created us. To know him means that we're coming to a right self-knowledge and a right knowledge of others around us. To know God to know is to know eternal life, and that is to change our world. It's so important that then we are carving out time, to digest God's word and to sit in prayer at Jesus' feet, even when it might feel inconvenience, like an inconvenience, even when it might feel like uh, it's unproductive, which is, again, the besetting sin of northern Virginia. Sitting at Jesus' feet, carving out time to digest God's word, gives us a greater knowledge of who he is and why we were made. It, it produces... Um, Following Jesus, then, is about abiding over performing, right? Our life with Christ produces life for Christ. Abiding over performing, formation over fruit, and process over product. And and this is eternal life and the way that God is most glorified in and through us. And so, first, we're thinking about knowledge of God as one of the ways that we do productive kingdom work. The second that he mentions in this prayer, that is this prayer for the disciples, it's prayer for you and for me, is that the disciples of Jesus would be united for God's kingdom work, united for God's kingdom work. So in Jesus' prayer, he not only prays that he is glorified in the Father's presence, he prays in verse 11 that the Father would keep his people in Christ's name, that they would be one, even as Christ and the Father are one. So I believe that it's because of John 17 um, and other passages. But again, this is Jesus' deepest desire, his intimate prayer with God the Father, that Jesus would actually like his church to work towards full, visible unity. Um, Again, this is why in in our church, membership is kind of an awkward thing to talk about because Um, There's sort of the organizational membership, which is one piece But that's not a theological thing Membership in the body of Christ happens at your baptism And so regardless of the tradition you are in uh, We talk about baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit As being your membership in the body of Christ And so that doesn't mean that as we grow And as we find out the distinctions we have with one another That we ignore those differences or distinctions but it does change our disposition towards other people that have differences of opinion. And so I, I've i cultivated in the last couple of years relationships with uh, local ministers around this area that are part of the Assemblies of God, uh, Baptist, different kinds of Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, uh, Orthodox, different stripes of Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Eastern Rite Catholic, which you may not have even heard of, um, and Syrian Orthodox. And and I've I've kept those friendships up. They're really important to me. And and the reason that I keep those up is that, uh, I'll let you in on a secret, like me and my slice of Christendom is not the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. uh, That actually I'm part of it. Um, You know, unlike what Rome would like to say. Uh, You know, they... (laughs) We are a piece of the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And so it is good uh, for me to keep those relationships up. They don't see the the things the way that I do. Even, you know, talking to the pastors here, we have really different views on communion. And and despite some of our deepest disagreements, I learn from them. Right. And 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 I desire their best. Like I desire that their churches grow, that they would be healthy and and. And sometimes uh, I'm encouraged by them, and and they're encouraged by me in our conversations together. Like, there's mutual encouragement that happens despite disagreement. And so I do that um, while retaining my own distinctives as an Anglican priest in the Anglican church in North America. There are distinctives that I have that I won't minimize, and that's okay. Um, There are things that still separate us from being able to have full communion with one another, and that's okay. But what's cool about keeping up those relationships is that sometimes we even find things to do together. And so sometimes the the phrase that was given to me actually by a Roman Catholic priest down the street is what we can do together, we should do together. But that's the disposition of somebody who wants to uh, create unity amongst the disciples of Jesus. What we can do together, we should do together. So that's on a higher level. Most of you are not having ecumenical dialogue. Um but if you do, that's that's great. Um but what this prayer also reminds me of is the need here one for another. And on Friday night we had a lot of fun. There were like thirty or forty of you that came uh and we had a cookout down at um I forget the name, Lorton. No, it is in Lorton, but it's uh Laurel Hills Park Central Green. That's right. Um and it was, a, it was a blast hanging out with you all. Um, and so, even though Sunday morning, the Eucharist is the, nothing else is on the level of the formation that happens in the Eucharist. Right? This is the most important place to be formed as a disciple of Jesus. And also, I try and create other spaces where we're cultivating relationships, where there are relationship building spaces. Because outside of the Eucharist, those spaces are are the ones where the soil is fertile for the seeds of the mission of the kingdom of God. Outside the Eucharist, it's those relationship building spaces that are the the fertile soil for the seeds of the mission of the kingdom of God. And there are lots of places in society where you can share a meal and you can talk about your interests. They're all over the place. If you want to find a book group, if you want to find uh, some sort of interest group, and those are good things. But that's not what the church is. But that is often where relationships have to start within the church, and that's good. The church is the body through which God's glory is being made known to the world. And so the unity that we share in our baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit is to the end that we share in the mission of God's glory being known among the nations and in our neighborhoods together as a community. And so... You know, have those uh, social moments together. Those are important to the end that you share what God's doing in you as you get to know one another. That's really important. So it's not just social, but as you get to know one another, those create the space for vulnerability. Get to share what God's doing in you. What's what's been encouraging? What's been hard? Those are good spaces to share that. And so seek God for the ways that you guys are on mission together, that I'm on mission with you, right? Like this act of this, this desire, this act of faithfulness to plant a church is is not just mine. You are a part of this. You are planting this church. And so seek God for the ways that you're on mission with the people sitting around you this morning. Jesus's prayer here is that he is brought to the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. And we celebrate his ascension today, his ascension on high, where we see his return to that glory, where Jesus rules and reigns over all the kingdoms of the world and over sin and death. And because he's ascended on high, he's going to give the Holy Spirit for the work of his kingdom to be completed through those who would follow him in faith. His prayer includes the disciples bringing people to eternal life around them to do so with this unity of. With one another, that the Father and Son have. So, just as in John 15, where Jesus is teaching the disciples to abide, in this prayer, they're called to know God the Father and Jesus Christ, whom He sent. And so, when we seek to know God, then our aims in life are coming more in alignment with God's mission for the world. And when disciples do this together, then they have the possibility of uniting together. Uh, uniting their will and their purpose towards the kingdom of God, even in spaces where there might be disagreement to build things that are going to last for God's kingdom. We have to have a heart that is shaped by the prayer of Jesus in John 17. We have to come back to this passage over and over. And what is God's, what is Jesus's heart for his people that, and what are the means by which they are building the kingdom of God It's a knowledge of God, which is eternal life. And it's unity of the disciples of Jesus. So life with God and life together. Life with God and life together in the unity of the Holy Spirit is the foundation of God's kingdom work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you said to your apostles, peace I give to you. My own peace I leave you. Regard not our sins but the faith of your church and give to us the peace and unity of that heavenly city where with the Father and the Holy Spirit you live and reign now and forever. Amen.